With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wednesday, May 30th, 2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Chet, hey, the Phillies are still hanging in there as they start a big West Coast road trip. Carson Wentz is ahead of schedule. But the big story today is the craziness that has become the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, Bill, things are never dull when it comes to the Sixers, but this one came out of the blue late Tuesday, and it's just crazy. Talking, of course, about GM Brian Colangelo allegedly having some five secret Twitter accounts that he used to tweet out some internal Sixers stuff to sometimes criticize former and current players, etc. If this is found to be true, the Sixers will almost certainly be parting company with BC. Unbelievable. We're going to get to all that in a bit. But, folks, also stay with us because later in the show, Bill Furman will come clean about all 12 of his burner Twitter accounts. <laughs> right, right. I can't figure out how to use the first one, let alone 12. <laughs> I know. But, hey, we're, as you said, we're going to get back to all that and more, and uh, we're going to talk uh, NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Finals. We're, we're going to cover it all tonight. But we're going to start out by talking Phillies. Uh, with one of the main men that helped put together the greatest era of Phillies baseball, the former director of minor league scouting for the Phils, Marty Walliver. Marty, welcome to Philly Press Box Radio. Hey, thanks, guys. It's great to be with you. Hey, Marty, this is Chet. Thanks again for joining us here on Philly Press Box Radio. If I have all this correct, you worked in the Phillies organization from 1992 through 2014, but the first year you were in charge of amateur scouting for the club was 2002, when the Phil's first round selection, the 17th overall pick was that Cole Hamels. That's a pretty good first pick on your part. Well, and, and, and he was, he's a great pitcher, but actually I, I took over uh, the year before uh, Mike Arbuckle announced Gavin Floyd and then uh, handed the reins over to me. So actually my first pick after that, we, we didn't have a second or third round pick. We took a young shortstop named Terry Jones, and then we took Ryan Howard after that. So that was really the first year that, uh, that I kind of took over with the scouting, but it's, uh, like I said, it's, it was a great run and, and with great people and, and really, truly enjoyed it. Yeah. You were there in the years prior to 2001 and two, when the team drafted guys like Pat Burrell, Chase Sutley, Jimmy Rollins, and Ryan Howard. Um, were they all guys that the organization felt confident would turn out to be stars? Yeah. You know, I, I think we did. We, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time uh, with, with uh, Chase and with Pat and, and uh, Brett Myers. I mean, the list goes on and on of, of guys that that uh, I think really did well for us and, and helped formulate that team and and win the championship in 2008. So we spent a lot of time. They had great character. They had great makeup, and they were very good baseball players. On top of it. Hey, Marty. I, I coached a lot of baseball, uh, high school baseball down here in the Florida area, and and ha- have dealt with a lot of scouts and got to know them and. Boy, the whole concept of scouting is a mystery uh, to me because even that guy that looks like he's a guaranteed first-round sure guy, there's nothing sure about it. And and how many times do you think you go see a guy, say a Cole Hamels, before you make him that pick? Gosh, I, you know, it's it's a great question, and, and you're exactly right. You really never know how it's going to turn out. Uh, you know, you make the best judgment that you can at the time based on all the information you have. But uh, uh, I remember seeing Cole. I think I saw Cole pitch five times his senior year in high school. And uh, and the year before, I saw Ryan play, of course, in high school and, and in college down at uh, Missouri State. So 
you get a chance to see some of these guys uh, play a lot, which really helps really get into their makeup and their character and their abilities and, and really helps you formulate a great decision. Marty, is it tougher to scout pitchers or position players? You know, it's, it, I, I think they're equally tough. Uh, high, school <laughs> pitchers, high school pitchers are really difficult. I mean, Gavin Floyd and Brett Myers were uh, were a little bit of the exception. Brett, although I, the first time I saw Brett, he, uh, I think he lasted about four innings and they had to go get him. It wasn't a very good day. So uh, high school pitchers are so up and down. Uh, high school players in general can be up and down. Uh, as can and college guys uh, at times. They uh, they really press, especially their year that they're coming out for the draft and put a little pressure on themselves and and uh, you know have difficult years, which makes your decision uh, extremely difficult. Uh, but they're both they're both uh, you know it's, it's tough for both of them at times. And, and speaking of Brett, we've had him on the show, and I, I shared this story with him that in his senior year, and you were probably there. Now that we're talking about this. Uh, I saw him pitch as a high school senior in the state final four over in Tampa. And uh, his dad was sitting in the stands with Dallas green. And a a week later, he's the Phillies first round draft pick. Yeah. I, uh, I saw Brett up in Jacksonville for the first time. And then I saw him in the panhandle and uh, I was, I was there for that uh, all-star game or the state championship game in Tampa. And, And of course we all spent some time with Brett's dad and, and, uh, but you know, Brett was an outstanding competitor, and on top of that, he had great stuff. and And uh, I think he really came to the forefront, you know, during those those great years there when we won the championship in 2008. Hey Marty, while I think of it, the Phils today called up a guy that you drafted in the fifth round of the 2011 draft, a left-handed hitting third baseman named Mitch Walding. I know it's been seven years, but what do you remember about Mitch Walding? I <laughs> I, I couldn't be happier. You know, you want all of them to get to the big leagues, but. Uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, Mitch was a, a kid from up in the Northwest, and I, I remember going up to Klamath Falls, Oregon, after the draft, after we had selected him, and uh, talked to him, and and uh, you know, eventually came up with the money that it took for us to get him signed. And again, my hat was off to Mitch, and certainly to Joey Davis. Joey Davis was our area scout, and and uh, was really convicted about him, and and uh, that made the the decision to go ahead and and pull the trigger and get him signed uh, a lot easier because Joey was certainly on board and, and a strong supporter. Hey, Marty, I have a question for you. Uh, again, going back to watching these youngsters, uh, you know, you're still involved in, in Major League Baseball with the Detroit Tigers. And, uh, you know, this whole, um, what do you call, I guess the emphasis has come off of, of high school baseball more on, on to travel baseball. How did, how does that play into what you guys are doing? And, and the second part of that, how, how do you guys evaluate the personality of that player? Because kids are certainly a little different now than they were when I first started coaching. <laughs> they sure are. It's uh, uh, unfortunately a lot of it is money motivated. And uh, I, I think uh, sometimes that'll come out, uh, when you have an opportunity to sit with the family and or the players. Uh, but uh, travel ball has made it a little bit easier for us because a lot of those kids make the circuit, as we call it, in the summertime. And you get a chance to see them against the best competition in the country, which really helps your evaluation ability. The The unfortunate part about that, I think, Bill, is that they really don't have an attachment to a, a high school or a team, a lot of these kids, because they're so busy traveling around and gaining that extra exposure. So, from that standpoint, I think they miss out a little bit on the camaraderie of, of what a, a teammate and a team will do for you. Uh, but it makes our job you know, substantially easier uh, to, to see them against a better competition. Mm-hmm. Marty, some of the other guys you drafted, Aaron Altair, J.P. Crawford, and Andrew Knapp, and then in your final year in charge of the Phils draft, 2014, Aaron Nola in the first round and Reese Hoskins in round five. You certainly got it right with those guys. Um, speaking of Nola, did you think Nola, who's just going to turn 25 next week, by the way, did you think he would be as good as he's become this year? Well, he's, he's uh, you know, the, the good thing about Aaron was he always had command of the strike zone. He pitched ahead. Uh, he threw strikes um, and he was a tremendous competitor. And I think all those things really worked to his favor. And, uh, you know, I, we, we thought he was going to be a very good major league pitcher and he's turned out to be even better than we thought. So, uh, I, I couldn't be happier for him and 
and um, uh, certainly for Reese Hoskins last year, what he did was amazing, and and I think he'll continue to be a great big leaguer. But uh, Aaron was, we, we felt like he was the guy all along uh, where we picked at that point in time that uh, was going to get to the big leagues fairly quickly. But that really wasn't the, the big decision. Was what was he going to be when he got there? And we thought he was going to be at least a middle of the rotation type guy, if not better than that. And it's kind of shaping up that he's going to be a little bit better than that. Yes, it is. Yeah, and, you know, another funny story uh, down here in Florida, when Aaron Nola got, got picked by the Phillies, his first professional start for Clearwater was over here at Lakeland. And uh, you might have been at that game too, Marty, but uh, the whole entire Phillies brass was sitting down there. And Charlie Manuel was there, Dallas Green, a bunch of others. And, uh, and Nola threw good. J.P. Crawford was on the field that night, and uh, Roman was on the field that night. It, it was a pretty good team. Well, yeah, you know, Bill, it's really – I mean, that, that's what all of us live for scouting-wise. And, and to see the Quins and the Naps and the Rups and the Nolas and the Altiers and the Waldings, and, and I know uh, Green is playing well in A this year. Um, you know, to see all these kids do well and go out and perform uh, really really makes your day and, and uh, makes all the travel and the long nights and short days, uh, uh, you know, well worth your effort. So I'm, I just couldn't be happy for all those kids. Hey, Marty, we need to ask you about the guy who may well be the Phil's future closer, Sir Anthony Dominguez. Now, you were there when the Phillies signed him as a free agent from the Dominican Republic back in 2012. Did you personally scout him or have any idea he'd be a guy who would throw 97, 98 miles an hour and look almost unhittable six years later? (laughs) Well, you know what? I I was down there a lot, and uh, I remember Santana and Freddy Galvez and Carlos Carrasco, and there was a few of them over the years that – I was down there with, but, uh, you know, you never know. Again, it, it's what you yeah. alluded to earlier. You, you, you see things. It's like uh, Rios uh, from Puerto Rico. Yak was, you know, a loose, easy, through easy, had a little velocity, but he had arm speed, and you could project, hopefully, that he was going to throw harder down the road. And I think, you know, down in the Dominican, it's always tough because you, you really never know where they've been or, or how they got where they're at and, what certainly what they're going to be. That's a very, very difficult job. Hey, Marty, when you, when you guys uh, walk us through real quick, how, uh, and this is going to have to be the reader's eyes in this version, I think, because it's very complicated, but how does the scouting process work um, to the point that you actually make that pick? I mean, how many scouts look at it, cross checkers and, and everything else? Gosh, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And that can, uh, you know, that can change from year to year, contingent upon where you pick uh, and what picks you have. Uh, you know, initially we will have a little track record, some history on these kids uh, as they come through high school. And as high school players, of course, the area scout, uh, we have a lot of, we used to have a lot of part-time scouts, um, uh, recommending scouts, or uh, also known as bird dogs, um, you know, that, that send out stuff um, and, and, the area scout will get a hold of it, and he'll go out and take a look. And then, of course, you have uh, regional cross-checkers uh, that will get in to see a player, national cross-checkers, and then a scouting director. And then, you know, occasionally a general manager, contingent upon where you pick, um, assistant GMs, they'll come out and take a look at kids too. It's Again, it's, um, you know, some clubs are different. Some GMs would prefer not to come out and leave that up to the scouting department. Others want to see what, you know, what they're in for. And I think – this day and age now, especially with the amount of money that you're paying uh, to acquire these players through the draft, I, I think it's really imperative that GMs and, and assistant GMs get out to see exactly what we're looking at so when that decision is made, they have a handle on exactly what they're, uh, what they're in for. Marty, we mentioned Cole Hamels earlier. He's 34 now. To be honest, his numbers are okay this year, but not spectacular. He's 3-4, and four, an ERA, pretty good, 3.38. Might he be a target for the Phils come July, assuming they're, you know, in contention still, and should he be a target? Well, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not in Philadelphia, but uh, uh, I, I know he has a love for the city, and certainly the fans have a love for him there. And, uh, I, you know, I know what a competitor Cole is and has been and, and will continue to be. He's, he's, uh, I think there's still a little gas in that tank. And, you know, he's playing on a, a club that's got off to a slow start this year, which unfortunately sometimes has an effect on – on your performance as well. So, uh, you know, I, I still look at his stuff. His stuff is still good. He, uh, uh, you know, he's, he still has the presence and poise on the mound. And 
you know, I think he might be a target not only for Philadelphia, but for a few others, you know, as you get closer to that deadline. Yep. Well, Marty, I have to tell you, I started the rumor right here on Philly Press Box Radio that uh, the Phillies are going to be buyers and Cole is going to be their guy and to dust off those 35 jerseys. That that started right here with us. <laughs> well, that would be great. It's uh, uh, That would be great. You know, it, it's uh, I have – I have such great memories of Philadelphia and the fans and the people in the city. I, I mean, it's just a wonderful place. And I know Cole feels the same way. So if that happens, uh, I, I know he would be all smiles. Absolutely. Hey, hey Marty, as far as the draft goes, when you're, when you're looking at all these guys and uh, I mean, I, I assume you develop favorites just because you've seen them so much. And, and what happens when, uh, is there a lot of disappointment in the organization when that guy maybe gets picked pick ahead of you? Or uh, do you just say, you know what, tough loss, let's worry about the ones we get, not the ones we lost? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, it uh, it happens to everybody in this game. But uh, there were a few instances where, uh, quite frankly, I thought we had a player and he was going to be our pick. And unbeknownst to me, somebody took him right before us. And uh, the room gets real quiet and – uh, but again, that's, you know, that's why you do your homework and you're prepared and you go to plan B or, or plan C sometimes. Uh, but it, you know, it's disappointing because you focused on a certain player, uh, the majority of the spring and or during the period, you know, when you're in discussion about the, the draft and the players. Uh, but it, like I said, it's happened to everyone. I'm sure at, at a time or two, we could all put together a, a pretty good story of, of those players that we thought we had that never quite got to us. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, you just move on. You just, you move to the next one and, and hope that you get uh, the same type of results. Marty, I remember you were real high on Jesse, um, Biddle when he was drafted, yep. I guess it was 2010. Um, he, he struggled to, you know, stay in the big leagues. Um, what has gone wrong with his career so far? Does he still have a shot at, you know, making it? Yeah. You know, I, I, I was so happy. He was another one like uh, Mitch Walding that, uh, got a chance this year to get to the big leagues, and, and I think he actually pitched against Philadelphia. Um, but, you know, Jesse was hurt, um, and I think that really – I think he had Tommy John surgery, and I believe that put him back a little bit. Um, and I haven't seen him pitch since he was uh, in the organization, so I can't really comment. I can only tell you, you know, certainly about the makeup and about the desire and the competitiveness, which was all, you know, A's across the board. And, and uh, I would just – I was really happy for him, and if he's got there, uh, who's to say that he might not have an extended career? Just took him a little bit longer to get there. Yeah, hey, I wanted to ask you too, Marty. Uh, you know, when are you involved? I guess in like the major trade type things. Now, I know you're you're with Detroit, and uh, and they just had a blockbuster trade at the end of last year where they traded Justin Verlander for a whole bunch of guys and. Uh, during your time with the Phillies, a bunch of your prospects also got traded away as the Phillies were trying to continue the World Series run. Uh, are you guys from the scouting department, are you consulted in any of that? Or once the players are in the organization, they, you know, you're out of that. No, you know, I, I think everybody does that throughout baseball. If you don't, uh, um, you know, I, I think you would, uh, you might kick yourself a little bit if you don't, because I always go back to the area scouts who initially saw these kids as amateurs and try to get their input as, to far, as, as far as makeup, family background, try to get all the incidentals and get as much information as you can to help you make a quality decision. So I, I think uh, if you're doing things right, you're reaching out to uh, every guy that possibly has had an influence or been a part of that young player's life or knows him or scouted him and try to gather as much information as you can, uh, which, helps you, you know, which helps you make a better decision. Marty, I have to ask, uh, when you were dismissed by the Phils at the end of the 2014 season, I remember some people thought you were being made something of a scapegoat for the team's downturn over the three most recent seasons at that time. Were you a scapegoat? Do you have any hard feelings still? You know, I, I don't have any hard feelings at all toward uh, uh, Philadelphia or the Phillies. Uh, and, and no, do I think it was justified? Absolutely not. And um, I, I think we did a tremendous job. Uh, considering the fact of where we picked many times the money that we had to work with. I think if you look back and from 2000 to 2014, we spent the fewest amount of dollars in the amateur draft of any club in Major League Baseball. And during that time, I still think we had pretty good results, and inevitably we had players that we used 
to trade for the pieces that we needed to, you know, to continue a good run. So uh, I have nothing against, uh, I love the city. I love the people. Um, do I think it was justified? No, but you know what? Life goes on, you move on. And yep. uh, you, you know, that's, that's part of professional sports. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that would tell you that uh, them being traded or, or let go probably uh, wasn't right or shouldn't have been done. And, uh, but you know, that's, again, that's part of professional sports and, and you move on and, and, uh, you do the best you can. Good attitude. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, Marty, you've been in this business a long time. Uh, how many years has it been? And now, as we mentioned, you're with the Tigers. Uh, what What is your job with those guys? <laughs> you guys are right. It's been a long time. It's been uh, it's been 35 years. My my first year of scouting as a area scout was 1984 with Detroit and. I was so fortunate. Uh, the gentleman that hired me was a gentleman by the name of George Bradley, who was a scouting director in, in Detroit. Bill LaJoy was the general manager, and uh, I was coaching at Kansas State at the time, and and uh, George came through and offered me a job at Christmas as an area scout. And, and so it started back in 84. I came back here uh, when I got let go in Philadelphia. It feels like home. Uh, I love Detroit, and the people and the organization is outstanding. They treated me extremely well and and um, my responsibilities now really are mainly on the west coast and uh, you know cross-checking players on the west coast and occasionally getting out to see a few others but um, you know it's great to be back home where I originally started and uh, but again I, I, I can't tell you how much uh, the city of Philly meant to me and my family and, and everything that they did for us was and David Montgomery was I, I couldn't think of a better person to I've had a chance to meet and work with and, and become a close friend of. Marty, one awesome. final question from me. I know you still keep tabs on, you know, all things Major League Baseball. You've probably seen a little bit of the Phillies. You know how good their pitching staff is. Do you think they're legitimate contenders, at least for a wild card spot, the Phillies? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think the, uh, you know, I, I think uh, Gabe had a, a little bit of a rough go to, to begin with, and, you know, he's certainly doing things a little bit differently, but, I think he also brings an energy to a young club. And, um, you know, I think the division's a little bit up for grabs. It's a little bit of in turmoil in, in some organizations. Um, and I think there's some change going on there. So, uh, heck, yes, I think they've got a great chance. And, and uh, the young players sometimes don't know the difference. They're just willing to go out there and, and get after it and uh, compete. And as long as you compete uh, I, I, and, and you've got some pitching, which uh, I think they do, I think they've got a chance to make a good run. Awesome. We we hope so. Well, hey, Marty, hey, we appreciate you taking time to join us tonight. This has really been enlightening. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much, and, and uh, anytime I can be of help, please let me know. All right, Thanks, Marty. Hey, I'll, I'll look for you in Lakeland. Hey, that sounds great, Bill. Take care. Okay. Thanks, care. Marty. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. All right, Bill, it's time for me to tell you about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. There is a lot going on there in the weeks ahead. It's trivia night at the Irish Rover every Wednesday. This Thursday evening, as the Phils and Dodgers finish their four-game set in L.A., the Rover is hosting a Phillies tailgate party from 7.30 to 9 p.m. This Friday, Kugel will be in the house from 6 to 8, and they just may buy you a beer. All the NBA and Stanley Cup Finals games are on the Rover's many TVs, too. And mark your calendar for Sunday, June 17th. That's when the Irish Rover holds its sixth annual Father's Day car show. All that plus the many awesome menu items that are always available and always 24 beers on tap. It is the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hey, Chet, before we go uh, talk Sixers, we made our big Philly Press Box Radio announcement last week that actually takes place next Thursday night at 630. Let's let's talk some about that. Share some more info. Well, Bill, as the snippet of that Warren Zevon song would imply, I'm an excitable boy because, yeah, starting next week on Thursday, as you noted, we'll be doing our show, and I'll be there in person every week, from the studios at Wildfire Radio down in Westville. Philly Press Box Radio will be part of the Wildfire Radio Group, and that is the Philadelphia region's premier podcast network, for those who don't know. That new time slot again, Thursday evening from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. With the backing of Wildfire, we should be able to grow our audience significantly, so we are looking forward to this move. 
Yeah, I'm excited too. And uh, I got to get used to this Thursday 630 is really going to mess me up. But uh, but I'm excited about it. Can't wait. And, hey, as we said last week, if you have a business and you're looking for some affordable advertising, be sure to reach out to Bill or me because we do hope to add an additional sponsor to help us cover the costs associated with this new venture. Next Thursday, Wildfire Radio and Philly Press Box Radio. Yeah, and, and Chet, to, uh, to that point, too, for anybody that would be interested in, uh, in advertising, we can actually do soundbite-type things like you do where it's, uh, uh, you actually interview um, Christine up there and some other different ways to do the advertisement. So it's not a matter of us just reading it. Yep. We can do a live read like I did tonight. We can interview someone for, from your business. Uh, you could give us a pre-recorded 30 or 40 second spot, you know, whatever it takes, we'll make it happen for you. Absolutely. All right. Hey, it's going to be good. And, uh, I'm really excited to just as you are. Can't wait. All right. Well, hey, Chet, uh, Man, let's talk Sixers. I thought the big story would be the three-year contract extension for Brett Brown, but what is this Jerry Colangelo mess? And I thought the big story would be the news that Ben Simmons is apparently dating Kendall Jenner. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I figured you'd be (laughs) all over that. (laughs) But no, no, we'll delve into that next week perhaps, or not. Yeah, Brian Colangelo, this is just bizarre. Well-researched, lengthy story that came out late Tuesday evening alleging that Sixers GM Brian Colangelo was utilizing five different Twitter accounts under various names, following some of his own players, other employees of the Sixers, and his former team, the Raptors, the University of Chicago, and several players there, that is where his son plays basketball, and various Philly media folks, including the Inquirer's Keith Pompey. Now, our pal Keith, since I mentioned him, did a little podcast about the mess early today, and he explained why this is such a big problem if, in fact, these Twitter accounts and the tweets did, in fact, come from Brian Colangelo. You have information that's out there that's kind of like damning to Joel Embiid, stuff that's damning to Markel Folks' trainer. There's stuff critical of Nerlens Noel, Jalil Okafor, some stuff that basically gave the Sixers plan on what they were trying to do in the draft last year. There you go, Keith Pompey. Yeah, now, now, a little bit, because you're a little more up on this. I, I have read it, but um, if I understand correctly, he had all these accounts, and the ringer, right? It's called the ringer, uh, yes. is the one that kind of got onto this thing and pursued it. And when they contacted the Sixers, all of a sudden those accounts started going away. Yeah, three of those accounts went dark right after that, which is a real sign to almost every observer that all five of these accounts were linked. Now, Brian Colangelo did acknowledge that one of the accounts was his. That's the Philo 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, or whatever it was. Um, but he said he had no knowledge of the other ones, and he went out of his way today to call, I think, hundreds of people saying, you know, this is bogus, those other accounts are not me. Do you believe him? I don't know. But, yeah, he confirmed that the one account was his, but yet shortly after the Sixers contacted or were contacted by this reporter, those other three mysteriously went dark or, you know, private. Uh, Nobody could look at them anymore. So very interesting. And now the Sixers today said they will be doing an independent investigation. Now, does that mean an outsider is doing the investigating? I'm not sure. But, you know, we've heard some snippets of the investigation already that there seems to be a link between Brian Colangelo and these five accounts. Um, because the contact phone number was the same on at least three of them. So it sure doesn't look good for Brian Colangelo at this point. Yeah, and and I guess the other point I'll make uh, that I took from the story was that the when the writer or the, the investigator, whatever he is, contacted the Sixers back after those couple accounts went dark, and he asked who had been talked to, and they told him, no one but Colangelo. <laughs> um, so I really thought that was kind of interesting because it certainly looks like, uh, you know, if they said, hey, we made a general announcement or we put out a memo or whatever, anybody could have done it. But the response that, that this guy reported was that it only only Colangelo was talked to. 
Yeah, and the Sixers have to do something about this within the next day or so. They can't let this drag on. It looks really bad. And, you know, as Keith Pompey said, you know, you're talking about several players on your team or former players. That's bad. Plus, you can't even think about acquiring a free agent come July 1st if there's any doubt about the GM doing this kind of stuff. First of all, players aren't going to want to deal with him. Other GMs aren't going to want to deal with him to talk trade or whatever. You have the draft coming up in three weeks, I believe, June 21st. So the Sixers have to have this resolved, I would say, in the next day or two at the latest. Yeah, I, and, you know, I just don't see any possible way that he survives this. I think both he, of the he can't, Philly, be, he can't be here this weekend. No, both of the Philly sports stations did polls today as far as, you know, do you believe Colangelo is behind all these Twitter accounts? And I think it was like 87 or 88% in both cases that, yeah, it was Colangelo. I mean, let's face facts. From the moment he got here, he did not have – the personality that made you a believer in him. He just, to me at least, always seemed a little bit, you know, snarky, a little bit I'm above what you guys are doing. Uh, I know more than you. And so a lot of people didn't trust him right from the start. And now there are these stories. So it's understandable that he's not getting a lot of support from Sixers fans and not just the hinky supporters. I think Sixers fans in general. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those kind of things. It doesn't – Hinky has nothing to do with this. This is this is an ethics matter, I think, as much as anything. And if – if uh, gee whiz, if half of what is true, uh, of what they're saying is true, it's too much. Yeah, I mean, there's some speculation from some people that, you know, maybe it's like a family member like his son or maybe even his father, Jerry, or perhaps even his wife who's behind these accounts and didn't tell him – I think the chances of that are maybe 3%. So very unlikely. I'll be surprised if he's not found you know, guilty, if that's the word here, of, of being behind all of this. So I'll be shocked if he's still here come Monday. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that's, that's so far-fetched. I mean, why would, why would somebody's wife or son have an account criticizing dad's players? I mean, that, that just makes no sense. Of course – him doing it makes no sense either, but uh, <laughs> it, it just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this plays out over the next 24, 48 hours. Um, they've got to get this resolved, like I said, because you're not going to even think about attracting a free agent like a LeBron or a Paul George or whomever, given the situation like this where there's so much doubt about the GM and his credibility. So they've got to do something and do it fast. Yep, absolutely. Well, and with that said, I guess uh, Brett Brown's going to survive. He's got a new three-year contract, and uh, he'll be part of the process. Yeah, and there's some speculation also that maybe the Sixers put that news out last night, knowing that this other story from the ringer was about to break. Like, oh, yeah, everybody (laughs) will focus on the Brett Brown contract extension. Yeah, right. Oh, boy. I don't think so. And, you know, you and I have had several conversations about this whole Brett Brown thing and whether he's the guy to take the Sixers to the next level. I think we expect him to get an extension. Uh, but I think three years is maybe a little more than I was thinking. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not like they're locked into keeping them all three years. If, you know, they have a disappointing season this coming year and maybe falter in the playoffs next year, who knows? They could decide a change is necessary. A lot of that's going to depend on, you know, what they do this summer in the draft, in free agency, how the team performs. But I think Brown certainly did deserve the extension. He's been there through all the bad times. They went from 10 wins to 28 wins to 52 wins over the past two seasons. So you got to have him back for at least the next couple of years. He was a lame duck going into this coming season in the fall. So you couldn't have that situation. They were right to extend him, but now he has to perform as head coach and show that he can compete with the Brad Stevens and other guys in the Eastern conference. And hopefully, you know, get at least to the Eastern conference finals next year. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. I mean, he certainly, uh, for a guy to be as patient as he was to be given what he had to put on the court, uh, and, and get, his brains beat out every night. He certainly deserves the opportunity at least for a little while to, uh, to right that ship. It's, it's already headed in the right direction. Now we got to see if he can do what he needs to, to take it to the next level. You know, it. 
Hey, and and I do uh, I do have to say I have to apologize because I am old. I do it all the time. I call Brian Colangelo, Jerry Colangelo, who's his dad, who was uh, in in the middle of the game when I was a whole lot younger. And uh, I just when I think of Colangelo, I always think it's his dad, Jerry. Yeah, well, you know, old habits die hard. We'll forgive being you. old is, is not as easy as some people think. <laughs> I hope I never get old like that. As you well know, Mr. Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let's talk, let's get back to the Phillies, Jet. Uh, got a great bounce-back effort from that Jake Arrieta last night with seven shutout innings. The Phillies beat the Dodgers last night um, and should have won the night before blowing a four-run lead. And in my mind, that game was strictly on the shoulders of that Gabe Kapler. He let that one get away. I'll let you have your say about Gabe in a minute, but uh, you mentioned Jake Arrieta. What a season he's having so far. Five and two with a 2.16 ERA. In the month of May, he is two and one. Of course, he should have had another win or two, but the bullpen let him down. He is an ERA of .0 or .90 in May. But yeah, Monday, that 4 nothing lead as Vince Velasquez pitched great. Five no-hit innings left with a 4-2 lead. But after four easy outs by our favorite reliever, Sir Anthony Dominguez. The bullpen then had a letdown in the eighth inning, a bit of a meltdown, you might say, and it ended in a tough-to-swallow 5-4 loss. And you blame Gabe Kapler. Take take it away, Bill Furman. I am blaming Gabe Kapler for, one, Dominguez is hot. He is hot. So why are you bringing him in in the sixth and seventh inning when you have nobody behind him in the eighth and ninth inning. Come on, Gabe. At least <laughs> let him pitch the eighth and then go to your closer in the ninth. But why did you use him in the sixth and seventh when you don't have the people behind him to close that game out? Can't I hear you. Four run games, Chet. I know. That was an important game. And I know you're also still miffed about Reese Hoskins batting second all the time when he's in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I still can't figure that out. Just the numbers show it's not working, and we're now, we've now done it for a third of the season, and he's hitting 130-something. Uh, and uh, last night he put Franco second. Uh, you know, there's, only, there's not a whole lot of cardinal rules in baseball, but there are a few of them, and uh, Gabe doesn't seem to know them or follow them. But, uh, you know, your leadoff hitter is the guy that gets on base. The number two hitter is the guy that can move runners, bunt, do the things you take in number three hitters, your best hitter, and your four and five hitters, or your power hitters. Uh, that's been that way since Garrick and Ruth were playing, for God's sake. Well, the new analytics apparently say different things, and I know you're not a huge fan of that. And uh, Gabe is still clinging to those analytics, uh, even though the numbers seem to show that maybe they're wrong, those analytics. So, yeah, I'd like to see him move Hoskins to four or five. You know, maybe five at this point because he has been struggling. He hasn't had a two-hit game since, I think, uh, the end of April. So he's got to get going because they need him if they're going to really contend. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no problem with flopping him and Santana around. And, and even every so often, if you need to move him down to six and move Franco up until he gets out of this funk that he's in, I'm fine with that. But he's not a two-hitter. He doesn't do what two-hitters are supposed to do. And – uh I just don't get it, and and to continue to do it when the when the analytics or the numbers say it's not working, I I can't figure it out. I don't. And and he tried to justify it last week in an interview where he said, "Well, we think our best hitter needs to be in the number two spot. That's why we have him there." And that makes no sense. Yeah, I can't really defend it, so uh, I'm not even going to try. But as you said, it is a big road trip. They have to do well. Four games in L.A., then three in San Fran, then three at Wrigley. And how about Thursday evening's pitching matchup? Aaron Nola and the back-in-action Clayton Kershaw. That should be a good one. Yeah, it is going to be a good one. And, uh, you know, we're going to know an awful lot about this Philly team uh, here in about two to two and a half weeks when they get done this road trip and they have Milwaukee uh, after that. We're going to know a lot about them. Yeah, uh, it's going to be exciting. We'll see if they're for real or not. I'm still leaning to them, you know, being for real based on what the starting pitching has done. So I hope I'm right because it's a whole lot more fun watching baseball when your team's in contention rather than when they're on, you know, a path for a 70 and 92 season. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned that, Jake Arrieta, and I want to throw a couple numbers at you, Chet, because we're talking numbers now when we talk Phillies. Uh, You mentioned his month of May. 
Six innings, two hits, one run, and a loss. Seven and a third, five hits, no runs, and a loss. Three innings, five hits, four runs, two earned, and a loss. Six and two-thirds innings, seven hits, no runs, and a win. And last night, seven innings, six hits, no runs, and a win. That's three shutouts. Or, you know, they're all quality starts, except for one. And uh, if you take that one out of there, he's given up one run in four starts. I'll be honest. He's been better than I expected. I mean, I know he won the Cy Young three years ago. I know he's had good numbers even, you know, last year when his numbers weren't as good as the previous two years. But I thought maybe he was just, you know, here for the money and wouldn't be the same pitcher he was a couple of years ago. But he is here, and he's been a leader, and he's pitched great. So uh, he's come as advertised, and we're happy to see it. He absolutely has. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're going to get the efforts they're getting out of out of Nola and him and, and the other guys too, you know, they're getting quality starts out, out of everybody, but uh, you know, you don't go on many losing streaks when you've got somebody come in and slam the door like these guys can. Yeah. And Pavetta's pitching well. And uh, we should also mention Jared Eikhoff, who we thought might be back by now, apparently has had a setback uh, with his rehab. He's still got numbness in a couple of his fingers. So we will not see Jared Eikhoff real soon. It appears um, it's probably going to be at least a few weeks, maybe longer if there's something more seriously wrong with him. Yeah, and, and one more Philly note, Chad. I'm going to I'm going to throw this out at you. You don't know what's coming, but uh, you have become a fan of that Jorge Alfaro. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I love the way Jorge plays. I mean, he's a gamer. He goes 100 percent all the time. Never gives up. You know, when he's running out a infield hit or potential hit. Um, and behind the plate, I think he's getting better and better as far as dealing with pitchers. And what an arm! I mean, he's gunning down guys. And his uh, his throws are, what, like 90 miles an hour or something? He's yeah, apparently got uh, the best arm in baseball. He, he's really impressive. Yeah, he, he is. And uh, he's starting to hit a little bit, too. The average is coming up. He's really coming around. And, uh, I, you know, when I made a post there uh, last week and you added him to that untouchable list, and uh, might be a good call by you. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Alfaro. I think he's going to be here for a long time. Hopefully he's going to be one of those, you know, 10 or 12-year catchers that the Phillies have. So I'm hoping. Well, we'll, let's hang in there. And uh, we're 30-22 and right now and uh, playing the Dodgers. And and like I say, in a couple weeks, hopefully uh, we can still say we're at least eight games over 500. And so they're going to be in the hunt. Yeah, I agree. All right. Hey, Chet, there seems to be some good news coming out of Eagles camp uh, regarding the progress of that Carson Wentz. I'm really excited to see how this Wentz-Nick Foles situation plays out. Well, it's all going to depend on Wentz's uh, recovery. And so far, so good. We've seen, you know, the drills that he's been doing with the, the footwork and everything. Certainly it looks like the legs are in good shape. But, you know, you're not having a 300-pound guy running at your face right now either. So that could be a different situation uh he's still hoping to be there ready to go opening day we shall see if not that's why they kept nick Foles around they weren't blown over with any trade offers and uh if you got the super bowl mvp in there in september that's not a bad situation so the two guys get along great there's certainly no animosity between them and if the eagles management doesn't think that wentz is ready come september 6th um, it'll be Foles for game one, game two, maybe game three and game four. Who knows? And by the way, it is 99 days from today that the six or the Eagles will be playing that season opener, September 6th. Yes, it is. And, you know, I think the, the interesting thing is, you know, the, the Wentz-Foles relationship, as you mentioned, is, is they are good friends, great friends and, and all that. But, you know, these guys are competitors. And uh, to take the Super Bowl MVP and, and sitting down – uh, takes a special kind of guy to accept that. And I think, uh, you know, Nick Foles seems like he's that kind of guy. Um, and this is probably still Carson's team. But uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it is. And uh, I can't wait. Uh, what, what do we say, 14 weeks till uh, the opener? So I'm ready, September 6th, Atlanta. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Looking forward to it. And, uh I'm looking forward to some, some camp and see how some of these guys show up, see see what this running back situation looks like. I, 
there was a great article with that Pumphrey's talking about his relationship yeah. with Deuce Staley. Uh, that was good. There was a lot of, lot of uh, what do they call it, tough love going on there. I saw that, and Pumphrey is really, <laughs> really committed to showing everybody that you know he's not going to be a bust. Uh, he knows he had a bad preseason last year, then had the injury, maybe a phantom injury. I don't know. But Pumphrey is convinced that he can play in the NFL and wants to show everybody that that's the case. So I hope he's right. You always root for the little guys, and I'd love to see it. Absolutely. Wait, Jet, let's remind our listeners about our website, phillypressboxradio.com. We post daily articles off the Philly of all the big Philly sporting events. We write some articles as well. We have links to our shows, Vimeo's. Our sponsor page as well. Check us out every day at phillypressboxradio.com. And we're making the switch to wildfire. You'll still be able to get the show right on our website. We haven't finalized that situation yet as far as, uh, you know, setting it up that way. But we will make sure that you can listen to the show each week right from our website. Right. And you can click on it. If you look at it right now, it says live now as the show is going on. But you can also click on the banner at the top of the show advertisement that we put up each week. You can click on that to get to our shows as well. I didn't even know that. Well, there you go. Learn something every day. Hey, Chet, one other thing I want to throw in here before we start talking about the uh, NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals is uh, that Dick Vermeil golf outing, Downingtown Country Club, June the 12th. Uh, you and I will be in the house. Yeah, we will. Kevin Riley uh, invited us out again this year, our third straight year, and it, it's always a good time with a lot of great ex-Eagles always willing to talk to us. We hope to get a few interviews while we're there and maybe line up some future guests um, because, you know, even though a lot of these guys are retired and older now, they're still part of the Eagles Super Bowl feeling because they're all ex-Eagles, and when you're an Eagle, you're an Eagle for life. So, you know, they're pretty happy about what happened on February 4th. Absolutely. And, and when I talked to Kevin this week on the phone, uh, you know, we haven't had him on the show since they won the Super Bowl. And, man, he, it was like he was playing. He, he was so yeah. excited for, for the whole Philadelphia area and how it's affected the, the Philadelphia community and the Eagles community. Of course, he's part of that. And uh, as far as the golf outing, he said, you know, last year Coach Vermeil said that was going to be it, 25th. Um, and I think Coach is 80 years old, turned 80 years old. And uh, – and now he's um, said, hey, let's do it again. I, I was glad they uh, decided to do it again because, like I said, it's a great time, and we're looking forward to it, June 12th. Hey, Chet, I just got a message, a text message I want to share uh, from our buddy Carl Henderson. Reese Hoskins, broken jaw, headed to the DL. Really? That's that is bizarre. Carl just, Carl just texted me that this second. Because, I mean, we thought that while it looked bad that he was okay, he was able to pinch it last night, said, you know, no worries. And here we are almost 48 hours after it happened that they announced that he has a broken jaw. That is bizarre. Yeah. So we'll have to get some more information, but breaking news. Appreciate that from our buddy Carl Henderson. And speaking of Carl Henderson, let's talk uh, about a quick signing update. We were going to get to that after the uh, the finals, but let's go ahead and talk Carl's cards and collectibles in Havertown. Uh, this weekend, Chris Jenkins and Daryl Reynolds of those Villanova Wildcats are going to be there. Uh, June 9th, Nate Sudfeld and Duke Staley of the Eagles and the Super Bowl champion Eagles, I might add. And June 16th, Bernie Perrant and Andre Lacroix will be in Havertown. So, some great guests coming up over there at Carl's Cards. Yes, indeed. Carl is getting the job done this summer. He always does. Hey, speaking of NBA, Chet, finals. Now set LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers that he carries on his back against the Golden State Warriors. Any chance LeBron could pull this off? Well, you're hesitant to ever count him out, but I just don't see it, Bill. He's got to be tired at this point, for one thing. He's pretty much doing it all, as you said. But I just feel that Golden State, which is also coming off a tough seven-game series, has too much firepower, too many weapons. I'm taking the Warriors in five, six at the most, but I'll say Warriors in five. What about you? Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, I, I just They have just too many weapons, and uh, LeBron is – has really been something special to watch. I think anybody that doesn't want him on our team is, is out of their mind. But as far as, you know, to join the cast of characters that we have here, but uh, 
to beat Golden State with the guys that he has, I just don't see how he can do it. Yeah, I hope it's a good series. I mean, they've had good series in the past, but I think Cleveland has less to offer as a team this year, and LeBron maybe can do it all, but I don't know. This is a tough task. Yeah, and, and you know, I guess Kevin Love, I guess, is still out, uh, I think, uh, at least in the early games here. So the the one guy he does have that can help him isn't playing. That is true. Yeah, I haven't heard the update. I haven't heard anything official as far as Kevin Love for game one, but uh, they need him if they're going to have a shot. Well, and, and with all that said, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this the other week. Uh, LeBron is is something special. You You ready to go all in? Yeah, I think I am. I mean, some people, I think it was John Ritchie on WIP the other day, doesn't think that LeBron would be a great fit. Boy, I, I don't know how you could say that. I mean, he's the best player in the game, maybe the best ever, certainly in the top two or top three. Um, he's still got a lot left in the tank, obviously. I'm all in. What the heck? Well, you know what? I, I, I'm going to take the opposite approach, which I didn't think this year or a month or so ago. It's not whether LeBron fits. You fit people around LeBron. He's still got what it takes to win the championship, and he doesn't have to fit into Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons and, and Joel need to fit around him. All we need is a GM now. Yes, <laughs> and we're going to probably have a new one of them, or we're, we're going to have a vacancy very soon. Hey, I game so. one of the Stanley Cup finals, Chet. Vegas and Washington was one really good game. I, I have no – favoritism in this but watch that game and, and doc emmerich makes it pretty exciting no matter what vegas is up one nothing are they going to win the cup as an expansion team i know you were raving about that first game monday night and it was a good one real good preview piece this past sunday by the way by our two-time guest sam carcitti in the inquirer sam pointed out everything vegas has done right over the past year selecting character guys in the expansion draft They've embraced the whole Misfits label. And the key, of course, grabbing a very good goaltender. Marc-Andre Fleury in the first three rounds of the playoffs was 12-3, and make it 13-3 and now, uh, going into the finals, a 1.68 goals against average, save percentage just under 95%. Funny how a real good goaltender makes a team more competitive. Hmm. Am I picking them? Well, this one may be my heart more than my head talking, but... I just can't pick Washington. So my official prediction was and is Vegas in seven. In seven? Woo. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I hope so because I'll tell you what. Well, you and I, I think, were texting the other night toward the end of that game and saying, you were saying, please, no overtime. And I'm saying, I can yeah. watch this all night. <laughs> hey, I need my beauty sleep, I said. <laughs> yes, you did. But I tell uh, you what. What's, what's your prediction? Uh, Are you predicting I'm, I'm Vegas? I think uh, I'm going to go with Vegas also. I don't know that it's going to go seven. I, I think I'll go six. Whoa. Wow. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, Jed, I, um, I believe it was Carl and I having this conversation the other day about that Alexander Ovechkin. And, you know, he plays for the dreaded Caps, and, he's, uh, and we certainly don't root for him like we don't root for Crosby. But that guy plays hard every single night. And if he were to win a Stanley Cup, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah, I see what you're saying there, but I still don't want to see the Caps win. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's just because they're the local guys. I, I'm with you on yep. that. So I, I'm going to stick with Vegas too. And uh, But if uh, I'm hoping it goes to about a nine-game series and they just keep on playing. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. That's right. All right. Hey, Chet, before we get to our parting shots, tell us who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio on Wildfire Radio next week. Well, as we've noted, and we'll continue to remind everyone, we will be on Thursdays starting next week, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m., and our first guest as part of the Wildfire Radio family will be a returnee. He was on with us, I think it was last November, longtime Flyers PA announcer and one of the nicest guys in the biz, Lou Nolan. Can't wait for that. Is, is Lou going to actually be in studio? Is he, I know he was trying to do that. Is he going to be in studio? He said or is he, he may. He will let me know closer to the date, so I will reach out to him in the next few days, and it's up to him. You know, If he wants to join me in the studio down in Westville, he's certainly welcome to. If not, we'll do it by phone. And then the following week, you and I will be together in the studio with a very special guest who we'll unveil next week. Yeah. Well, I don't even know. I know. I keep you in suspense, pal. All right, I hear you. Hey, and and also uh, not confirmed, but uh, 
speaking of that Kevin Riley, we may have him with us uh, next week as well. We're we're just trying to work out schedules and have Kevin talking uh, about the golf tournament and talking about those Super Bowl champion Eagles. Yeah, as you said, we haven't had Kevin on until uh, since I think it was uh, beginning of the playoffs in January last year. So it would be his first time back as a guy who was celebrating the Super Bowl victory like all of us. Yep. All right. Mr. Chesco, do we have a parting shot for you tonight, sir? As we mentioned a few minutes ago, Bill, Philly Press Box Radio is on the move. We've had a great four-plus years doing our show on Wednesday evenings via Blog Talk Radio, but every once in a while it's good to try something a little bit different. So, again, make a note of it. We'll be coming your way each week on Thursday evenings from 6.30 to 7.30 starting June 7th, and you'll be able to listen via wildfireradio.com or wildfireradiosports.com or our website, phillypressboxradio.com. And after the fact, you can listen via iTunes or TuneIn, among other places. Now, I'll admit it, making any kind of a change is a bit scary and a bit unsettling, but with all the exciting things happening on the Philly sports scene, mostly good, some like Kalanjic Gate, as I've dubbed it, just plain bizarre, we just felt the time was right to try another podcast provider that should help us grow our audience significantly. That is certainly the goal. Our promise to you, our faithful listeners, is that we'll continue to bring you great guests and lively discussion about the Philly sports scene every week. Stick with us and tell your sports fan friends while you're at it. As always, Bill and I greatly appreciate your support. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't do it without you guys. And, uh, especially those that have been loyal to us throughout. There's a bunch of you, you know who you are, and uh, and we certainly appreciate you uh, going for the ride with us. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's going to be fun as we continue uh, part of the Wildfire family. Anything else in our final couple of minutes, Bill? Well, you know, uh, the one thing I was going to mention, since you mentioned great guests, uh, Marty Wallover was a really good guest. That was some good Philly stuff. Yeah, Marty's good, man, and we covered pretty much everything, you know, some of the big names from his time, what he thinks of the Phils currently, the Phils pitching staff. Um, he doesn't hold a grudge about being let go at the end of 2014, which is good. That's a good attitude to have, and uh, very well-spoken. So it was great to have Marty on. Hopefully we'll do it again next year at some point. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, Jet, speaking of Marty's time, uh, your buddy, our buddy, but your buddy, Glenn Macnow, wrote an article that I will post in – on Philly Press Box Radio tomorrow morning, but I'm going to give you a little heads up. He is uh, throwing out the question, now that the Phillies are what the Phillies are, does the Ruben Amaro Jr. era need to be reassessed? Uh, it's a very interesting read. Be looking for it. Um, and maybe we'll talk some about that next week as well. You know, I saw the headline, and I meant to read the story, and I uh, got sidetracked and never actually read it. So I do want to see that. But personally, I think Ruben was treated kind of badly. I, I think he made some good deals, especially, you know, for the future in his final year or two when he was knowing he was probably going to be leaving at some point. He did make some good deals to help set the Phillies on the, the road back. So, yeah, I think he was unfairly treated a bit. And uh, I'm going to read that article and see what Glenn had to say. Yep. Well, and, and I think, uh, you know, back at the time, we all said that we would trade anything to continue to win World Series. And right. that's what the that's what the Phillies did. They sold out the farm system, pretty much, and, and Marty Wallover, unfortunately, uh, hmm. to try to continue to win. And that window is was tight, and it only produced two World Series and one championship. And then they went, you know, it kind of had to start back over with building that part system. And that's all part of how it works. You know it, my friend. And he took it and, and Rube took the, took the hit for it. So very interesting. All right, Chet. Well, Hey, we have reached the top of the hour and let's thank our special guest, Marty Wallover, Irish Rover station house at Bob Sullivan's like your age.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Thursday night, June 7th at 6.30 when Lou Nolan joins us. You can listen through our Facebook page, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or the internet at www.wildfireradio.com. That's www.wildfireradio.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. I hope Philadelphia sports fans, Philadelphia Eagles,
Super Bowl 52 champions. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.